We have come to the final Grace and Granite of this semester. And um, in one sense, I'm sure, like me, you're sad. Uh, one of my favorite times of the week, getting up, spending the, the morning with you. In another sense, I know December is super busy. And then the first part of January is as well. Um, December, if you're a student, uh, everything's cranking up this week. It's the last week in Expositor Seminary, and so there's probably some beads of sweat that are still uh, still there, getting papers turned in. Um, Liberty too, and uh, here within the next few weeks, and and uh, obviously Christmas parties and. All kinds of other things that uh, that happen, and then nobody really does anything the last two weeks of the year, unless you're an accountant trying to get your end stuff done, uh, and so they save it all up for the first two weeks of the following year. So it's a really busy time, and um, so we'll wrap it up and then pick back up uh, with our small group schedule, um, following our uh, our other Bible study uh, schedules. So. Um, open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 7. Um, we begin with uh, our psalm on the day, and we'll read that, pray. And uh, this morning we're going to finish up this really long study, helpful study, but really long study on uh, church membership, church discipline, and, and uh, we're in the practical realm. So we'll expect you to ask any questions that you want, and we'll, uh, we'll field those as we go through. Before that, we want to turn our hearts to, to the Lord. It's an interesting psalm. Um, it is a psalm of David, and David is, uh, is praying. Um, he's making some statements to God, very thankful uh, for for the sanctification that's in his life, but, but he also makes a statement that goes right along with our study in uh, Romans 1 um, in verse 11. Let me point that out to you before we, before we get there. Look at Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge, a God who has indignation every day. Um, if a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. He has fallen into the hole which he made. Talking about the, the wicked, you and I before Christ, millions, billions probably people that are outside of Christ. And so here's just one of a number of examples in the Old Testament where God is angry with the wicked uh, every day. It's a righteous anger. It's not our kind of anger where we're flying off the, uh, the handle. It's a, it's a deliberate response of God's holiness uh, and his, his justice to sin. Um, it's, uh, it's not an option for him. Just like God is love, uh, God is also wrath. And, and um, so as there are rebels in the world, there's sin in the world, there's evil in the world, God's holiness um, uh, 
responds to that and does so with indignation um, and that's being stored up. It's, it's being held back right now. It's leaking out, if you, if you will. It's, it's, uh, it's coming out in diluted form. It's what we're learning about in Romans 1, the degradation of society. Uh, and you can look at that in a person's heart, a person's life, the degradation of a life that is in habitual sin. Uh, just compounds as it goes along, gets worse and worse, society gets worse and worse. That's God's judgment um, toward, the, toward fallen man and, um, and the world. But here's the attitude of his heart and how he's, um, he's, he's standing there with a bow drawn, um, made it ready. I can just vividly see that as a, as a bow hunter. And the animal has no idea that you're there in the tree stand and you draw and the, the bow is drawn and you're waiting. It's a picture, it's a ominous picture of God toward those who are without Christ. And um, so let's see how David gets there as we prepare our hearts. Verse 1, it's a shigion of David which he sang to the Lord concerning Cusha. Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Now you get an idea of why David's talking about God's response to the wicked. There's somebody after him. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend, or if I have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory to the dust. Obviously, he doesn't believe that he's done that, or uh, he wouldn't be praying this. Arise, O Lord, in verse 6, in your anger lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. When you read passages like that, you know David is not saying he is righteous in himself or sinless, just saying, I, and I know of nothing that, that I have to repent of. I know of nothing in my life um, that is, that's out of order. Oh, let the evil, verse 9, of the wicked come to an end and establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries, puts to test, the hearts and minds. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who has indignation every day. And now he's at our passage that we read. Man does not repent. He will sharpen his sword. He's bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. And he's dug a pit and hollowed it out, and he's fallen into the hole. Now he's obviously moved from the Lord to the to the person that's wicked. 
verse 16, his mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own plate. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray. I will give thanks to the Lord. Father, we do that this morning. We give thanks to you. We, we sing praise in our hearts um, to you, the, the God Most High. You have created us to, uh, to praise you, created us for, for yourself. and um, We are so thankful that, that you did. It's not a slavery kind of thing. It's a joyful thing. You, you tell us our, our, our goal is to, to know you. This is eternal life that we might know him, and to know you is to love you. And as the catechism said, our, our chief aim, chief goal in life, the reason that we exist is, is to enjoy you forever, bring you glory enjoy you forever. We are so thankful that we are able to do that in Jesus Christ. We are so thankful, Lord, as we, we think about what we've been learning in Romans, that apart from your divine grace, we would continue in truth suppression. You would witness to us and witness to us, and we would just take that witness and, and pervert it. Thank you that you've given us open eyes and um, for this psalm. I pray that as we wrap out today, um, wrap up today, that you would give, uh, you give me a clear mind, you'd help me to, to remember truth and be able to communicate it clearly and well to these brothers. And we might, iron might sharpen iron as we share with one another. We, we're so thankful that your spirit resides within us. We're so thankful that we have an authority that's not of men or of one man it's of God it's your word and so that's where we look and we we ask you to be glorified in our lives in Jesus name amen all right turn to page 256 if you would in your grace and granite books you know we are looking at the type of church that you want to be part of uh, which church is God's will for me and and we're looking at God's voice is the only one heard in the church. Qualified men lead the church, and then kingdom membership is manifested in church membership or preaching the word, qualified elders, and then church discipline, which is the ultimate outflow of membership. Why be a member? Because somebody is to keep watch over your souls, and you're in covenant with one another, all of the one another's in the Bible. Um, you can't fulfill those uh, to the amorphous blob, which is the universal church, a Christendom out there somewhere, all those commands are given to you as an individual to be carried out with the people that you set on a pew beside or a chair beside or however the, the seating is. Um, you know these are the people that I am doing, doing uh, Christianity with. Uh, these are the folks that I am yoked up with. These are the brothers and sisters, the church family. This is the local body that I'm part of. And now those commands take on, uh, take on uh, precision. I am to love uh, Dan. I am to forgive Jim. I am to bear the burdens of Matt. And, and um, you, you live that out. 
and part of the responsibility that we have to one another as a body, uh, part of the responsibilities that we have as elders keeping watch over your soul is this idea of, of discipling, uh, discipline. We talk about, we've talked every time about how we hear church discipline, we think negative. Remember the root is a, to disciple or uh, to discipline has the idea of, of moving a person from, uh, from where they're at to Christ-likeness. And part of that is clearly negative, uh, a punitive, not punitive, a corrective. Uh, part of that is, hey, you know, you hit the guardrail and we want to bear one another's burdens if you're overtaken in a fault. But the vast majority of church discipline, discipline, happens um, in, uh, in, in a positive sense. Uh, it's uh, individual confrontation. It's, um, it's uh, sharpening one another. It's conversations where it never gets to full-blown unrepentant sin. But God has designed in His Word uh, a process, a gracious process, if it does get to that place, if it does get to where a person is overtaken. Sin is very deceptive. Um, you think that you can handle it, uh, and before you know it, it it's handling you. And, and uh, uh, if you have ever in your life fallen into sin, that 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 has entrapped you for a period of time. I'm not talking about slipping in a mud puddle. I mean, you've fallen into it and you can't get out of it. If you've ever been there and God has brought you back from that, and now on the other side of that, in repentance, you look back, a lot of times you'll say, how in the world did I get there? I mean, how stupid was I? I mean, people told me and yet I did not listen. And... And not just once, but multiple times. You'll be able to look back with clarity and see, wow, right there was a boundary. Right there was a barrier that I blew through. And then God put another one there, and and I blew through that one. And God put another one there. And while you were in the midst of that, it's it's murky, it's it's unclear, it's confusing. You know, God's not the author of confusion. And so sin... If you allow it to, to get a, a toehold in your life, it'll take a foothold and then it will dominate you. And, and part of the effect of sin is deception, self-deception, and deception in, in, in general. Um, obviously, we're learning from Romans 1, we're, we're truth suppressors by nature. And so Satan and sin in the world uses our very nature against us, even as believers. We have a, we have a hangover from the fall, the, we have unredeemed flesh. You, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You now have spiritual life living in you. And you, you now have a, a renewed mind, or I'm sorry, a redeemed mind that allows you to be able to renew your mind. So you, don't no, longer have, you no longer have a natural mind. You now have a spiritual one, meaning that you can understand the things of God. It makes sense to you. Uh, then you're to pursue that, that mind renewal that... that God uses to form Christ in you, but you still have unredeemed flesh. There's still a part of you that, that's still connected to the old Adam. You're being made into the new Adam. And, and ultimately, we're longing for the day of redemption, right? When, when all of this is gone, there is no sin, there's no temptation uh, in us or in the world. And, and so all of that will be a, completely eradicated one day, but right now, that's not the case. And so you do battle against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, 
And so we, we suppress the truth. We, we have to be told um, you know, to confess your sins and not cover them because in doing that, you'll find mercy. You, you have to be reminded of that. And, and, and the way that God has insulated us from ourselves, protected us, is he's placed us in a body of believers um, that, that um, provokes you to love and good works and also confronts you at, at times. So we're in the midst of this battle, and um, the church is where that, uh, that, that battle is won. You try to, to battle sin, you try to, to battle that deception outside of a church, by yourself, alone, good luck. I mean, you're just, you're devastated. It's, you're going to be overtaken, and you're not even going to know that you're overtaken because of this, this, this deception that's there. Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. It's desperately sick. It, it has, to be, has to be changed, and that, 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 that capacity is, is still there. So when you're in the midst of it, and you're looking back now, you're going, how did I get there? Well, you see it very clearly today as a, somebody who's repented and God's brought you through it. But when you're in the middle of it, you've got, you, you got the world around you, whatever it's saying, it's okay, it's really not that bad. Those, those thoughts, the philosophies of the world are there. It's not speaking audibly to you, but, but that again, that hangover from from worldly thinking is, you know, is there. You have your flesh that wants to do it. Um, sin is pleasurable only for a season, and it leads to, you know, to the end, and, and then you can't even see it clearly because of the, the blindness that's there. You need other brothers and sisters to come alongside you, in our case, brothers, and say, hey, I see this. Hey, listen. Hey, let me counsel you in, you know, in, in, in this way. And it's not, um, you know, just parachuting in somebody's life and dropping, you know, a, a scripture bomb on them. You're, you're, in, you're in covenant relationship with them, you know. And that happens corporately, and then that happens in smaller settings. You're, you're in a Sunday school class, you're in a small group, uh, uh, and then that even happens on, on one-on-ones and one-on-twos. I mean, you, you, you're naturally, you have a natural affinity Toward, toward other individuals. So you have friends that, that are believers, that, and, and they're there, and they're faithful to you to be able to, to, to speak into your life. Just remember that, that almost always an, another individual can see into your life better than you can see, especially if it's something that you want, something that you desire, uh, and, and it may not even be a bad desire. Something that you want, you and I typically can't see as well as somebody else. So invite people into your life to be able to, uh, um, to give you that counsel and then, and then listen to that. So church discipline happens, phase one, somebody comes to you like that one-on-one. I see this. Uh, if you, you're unclear or you refuse to hear, then it goes to the second stage, which is more than one. Other brothers are brought to bear saying, hey, no, this is, this is what the Word says. This is true. And ultimately, it can get to the final stage if unrepentance is there uh, and the purity and the unity, the unity and the purity of the church is threatened, uh, then, then it gets to the stage where the whole body is calling you to come back under the Word. Um, and so what we're looking at is individual or specific situations. We talk church discipline in general, 
Because Matthew 18 doesn't give you a list. It doesn't say do this with liars and thieves. It, it says anybody who refuses to hear, hear what? The voice of Christ. Where's the voice of Christ? Uh, some download or prompting, a still small voice that you get in your head? No, in the Bible. The, that's the voice of Christ. This is the voice of God. Not my voice to the extent that my voice echoes this, then listen. But if I get off track and tell you something that has to do with the world, maybe that's good counsel, maybe that's not. Um, I think you, a believer can be wise and can be helpful, but, but maybe, maybe not. But to the extent that, that this book is spoken, that's the voice of Christ. That when you get out from under Christ's voice, then somebody gets you and pulls you back under it. And if you're willing to hear, yes, this is what the Bible says, then you've gained a brother, as Matthew 18 says. So, so how are we to process some of these specific instances? Things where, um, okay, great, I'm to do this, I get it, I see it in the Bible, I, I, this all makes sense to me. What are some specific instances? How do I handle specific situations? So that's where we're at. And we looked at unrepentance in general. Um, we looked at 2 Corinthians 7, what repentance looks like. We talked about heresy I'm on page 255 and false teachers. We talked about what is heresy. We're not talking about preferences, uh, Bible versions, or music. We're, we're talking about something that threatens someone's soul. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that you believe um, that's... That will, that will damn you. It's, you're outside of the gospel if you believe this. And individuals that believe heresies are typically factious. They're trying to get, garner people to follow them. And that type of person is self-condemned, and you get them out of the church as fast as possible. Um, gospel-threatening doctrinal error. Um, so we do not discipline error or disagreement on secondary or tertiary doctrines as long as they come under the leadership. So there's possible. You can be a member of Timberlake and not have a, a same position on a secondary matter or tertiary matter, and uh, you can still be a believer, uh, but you would not teach something contrary or try to draw somebody else um, away. Then we started to talk, we talked also about unrepentant adultery and fornication. Poor Nia. And we ended with number four. So this is where we're picking up this morning. Number four, page 256. What about lust and pornography? Is, is this something that requires church discipline? What about gluttony and anger? Somebody who has unruly behavior. The Bible is very specific with words. There is that, that um, bubbling cauldron uh, type of anger in your heart that, that erupts and spews, spews out. There's that... That, that, that type of anger that's just a seething, that it's, it's just underlying there. Um, then there's times when the words that the Bible uses when that anger comes out, like clamor. Um, you've ever seen somebody in the middle of Walmart and they lose it in front of everybody? Uh, maybe a wife on a, on a husband or a mother on a child. 
Um, and they don't care who's watching. Uh, they're giving it to whoever. That, that's clamor. Uh, it's a public display. Um, so what about these things? Do you go through the same process? Uh, first step, second step, third step? Um, all unrepentant sin is a matter for discipline, but at what level and which steps are appropriate? So we're talking about specifics of how you handle these. Holding to steps one and two may be sufficient when dealing with some sin. The hinge point is the matter of the fruit of repentance and how much the sin threatens the unity and the purity of the church. That phrase has been used over and over and over because that's really the, the key. When it, when it moves to being brought before the whole church and ultimately that person excluded from the fellowship, declared as an unbeliever, that happens when the unity of the church or the purity of the church is threatened. So this person is a professing believer. So you as other brothers, we as elders have responsibility to them. To, to, to pursue them. And we would do that in stage one and stage two. And we said, how long do you pursue them? Well, there's no time frame in the Bible, right? So, so if you're pursuing them and they're, they're hearing, but then they're falling, and then they're repenting, and they're hearing, and they're falling, and they're repenting, well, that process could last a really, really, really long time. You don't just say, oh, well, three strikes and you're out. Now you're you know, brought before the congregation. But when would somebody in this category be brought before the congregation or excluded from the congregation? It would be if that sin spills out and the unity and the purity of the church is threatened. And so you must often pray for the Lord to bring clarity and conviction of sin. We may even pray for pain and suffering to bring about repentance. Look back at C. Anger and gluttony are an example of sins where weakness may take years to overcome in the power of the Spirit. I've known people that have um, grown up in families where their, their mother or their father responded uh, to situations with explosive anger. Um, and they learn that pattern, how to respond. They're, they can't blame their mom and dad for their own sin, but they learned things from mom and dad. And, and, it, and, and it takes a long time to overcome certain patterns of, of sin. Forgiveness of that sin is granted instantaneously, but learning how to put that off and put on the right way can take a long time. Um, depending upon the individual and how deep-seated it is. Again, there's, there, just like there's no, there's no timeline on when you go from stage one to, you know, to three, there, there's no timeline on how long it may take for you to overcome uh, a weight or a sin which does so easily beset you. So what are you doing? You're fighting it, you're killing it, you're repenting of it. You're, you're, you're humbling yourself. You're bringing all of God's graces to bear. A lot of times we struggle uh, of overcoming sin because we neglect to use God's resources against it for our pride or whatever else it is. I mean, what are the resources? What are the graces of God that God's given you to overcome sin? 
well, the corporate uh, body, the preaching of the word, you think that you're going to battle the world, the flesh, and the devil and sit under a sermon once a week and then and not engage the body the rest of the time? You're, you're kidding yourself. You think that you're going to engage the church and, and do all of the things, show up every time the doors are open, grace and granite, and then not pray? You're, you're not going to overcome sin. Or read or genuinely pursue. There are graces that God has given you and I to battle the sin that's within us. So it's like going out in the middle of a battlefield without your gun or, or without your helmet or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So a lot of times we struggle with sin because we don't use the resources that God's given us for any number of, of reasons. But if you are using all of those, um, then it may take time to, to overcome and... You bear with individuals like that. Anger and gluttony, you know, is, a, is an example. And when you're, you're dealing with, with that, you're praying for God to bring clarity and conviction. Clarity to see the sin as God sees it. And conviction means to be convinced of, of that sin, how serious it is or otherwise. And we may even pray for pain and suffering to bring about repentance. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30. Somebody read that for me. First Corinthians 11, 29-30. Okay. Okay. Okay, go ahead and read with the next verse. 31. One more. Thank you. So here's the example of the, the Corinthian believers. They're, they're abusing the Lord's table and abusing one another. And Paul is saying to them that you're being disciplined by God. There's some that are sick and weak among you. Some of you are dead. And it's a direct result of your sin. And he's saying that's a good thing. It's an evidence whenever God does that. When God brings suffering into our, our, our lives or pain, it's for the purpose of, uh, of correcting us, disciplining us. And that passage says that God does that so we won't be judged with the world. Um, and so uh, that's one of the passages where you can pray. Hebrews is the other one where you can pray for the discipline of God. And just like the discipline that my mother gave me and my father gave me um, to my backside, it doesn't feel good whenever it's happening. But it, it, it has a loving purpose, doesn't it? So you can pray for that. Um, look at D. If the sin is lust... This is falling into the lust and the pornography category. The epithumia. It's a word group that indicates strong cravings. Notice it's a different word from pornea. Sins of the mind, even pornography, 
are all behind sexual sins, but the Bible puts them in a different category, epithumia. They're, they're not in the same category as fornication and adultery, pornea. We're going to talk about this Sunday. We're coming in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Romans 1 passage when you get to the, to the sexual sin and homosexuality. We'll talk about how the lust of the heart is the source of sin, but lusting in your heart is not equated with committing a physical act. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you're guilty of the law when you lust in your heart. Like the, the law is, is applied to you and I to our, at our desire level. But looking upon a woman with lust is not equated with, with actually sleeping with her, meaning on the same level. Sins are, are, are all cause you to be guilty before God, but they're not equal. Um, I think it was Brian McLaren who uh, was the, he's gone now, like all of the uh, heretics of, of the past, his ideas are probably still out there. He was the, one of the leaders of the emerging church movement. He, he said, um, you know, be... Uh, homosexuality is like being, you know, is, is a sin, just like being addicted to chocolate is a sin. Well, um, you know, being addicted to chocolate and homosexuality are not equated in God's eyes. Gluttony is a sin. That will send you to hell. But it's not the same as, as acting on it. And so you can see that even in these word groups, epithumia and por- pornea. The idea that, that these lusts and cravings in the heart, you have to manage them because they can turn into physical manifestations, but they're not the, they're not the same. They're the strong cravings, sins of the mind, even pornography are, are behind all sexual sins. But the Bible puts them in a different category. Um, and the weaknesses, these weaknesses often take longer repentance times and more time is needed to see fruit of repentance even in repentance there are weaknesses and and needs so let let me show you this in in scripture uh who would read james 1 14 i want to rattle off about three or four scriptures here so if you'd be willing to look that first one up just raise your hand and get it thank you uh colossians 3 5 you'd be willing to do that Thank you, Mark. First um, Thessalonians four five. Thank you. Second uh, Peter one four. All right, thanks. All right, just listen because every one of these verses has this epithumia word in it. This this strong desire. Um, and James one fourteen gives us the source. Uh, of this, where this this lust, this strong craving comes from, James one fourteen. Okay, each person is lured and tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire, his own epithumia. This 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 is internal desire of the heart. And James goes on to say what will happen if you act on that. So even in that picture, it's coming from within, these desires are there, this epithumia is there, and then if you act on that, when lust conceives, when that desire conceives, it brings forth sin, and then results death. 
You see a progression there. So obviously the idea is to cut it off before it gets to the action phase. All right? Colossians 3, 5. Here's a list um, with, with others. Okay. Read that to us again. Listen to the list here because it's a list of of words that fall into this category. Notice that they're different. Okay. So you have the first word there is pornea, immorality. And then you have the word for impurity. It's a different word. And then you have the word for passion, pathos. And then you have... Uh, the epithumia word with evil in front of it. So these are, these are not just desires. This word can be used for something positive. It's passion, um, lust. And we think of lust in a, in a negative sense, and rightly so. The epithumia word can be used in a positive sense. So here it's evil, evil uh, passion. And so these strong cravings that are there, sins of the mind and otherwise can be behind sexual sin. Now we had uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 or 5. Okay, not in the passion of lust as the Gentiles who do not know God. So there the word is used marking unbelievers. This is what unbelievers live in all the time. They have these strong desires. They act on these urges and desires. And if it feels right, do it. You're not that way. You're, you're not a Gentile outside of God. You're now in, inside the, the, the kingdom. All right, one more, Second Peter 1, 4. You've escaped the corruption that's in the world because of evil desires. And so all of those externals, all of those activities come from within. You can't blame God. You can't blame your mom. You can't blame your circumstances. We want to blame everything outside of us and the problems in the heart. And that's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard. If a person, uh, you know, that it said, if a man commits adultery, he's guilty. I say, if you look upon a woman with lust, you're guilty. The laws applied, not just to outside, but the laws applied to inside. And, and sin comes from, from, from within. And when you, but when you're dealing with those sins, it's not a one-and-done kind of thing. And they take time to overcome those, those desires. So you stop the practice... And then you work on the, the heart. Turn the page to 257. There's a dynamic. There's a dynamic in the first and second step where someone has a lust issue and they're willing to work and failing a lot, bear with them and help them over time. It could potentially threaten the purity of the church over time if they don't deal with it, but time will make that clear. So I, mean, I think the idea there is 
is be quick to pull the trigger, slow to pull the trigger, I should say, not too quick to do that, when you're dealing with something like this. If it's already manifested externally, they're already believing heresy and, and they're propagating that, you're not dealing with, with the desire level. It's already full bloom. You, know, you cut that off and you get it out of the church because the unity and purity of the church is already threatened. If it's already in a, in, in a physical act, a sexual physical act, it's, it's already in, in that level. And so unless they repent, then, then, then the, the unity and the purity of the church is threatened. But if it's still back here in the, in the desire level, you've got to go after it. You have to attack it. You have to deal with it. But, but you're dealing with it here now. And so if someone's willing to bear with that, then over time, you're, you're bringing the, those graces to bear, you're helping them, you're, and they're putting off and they're putting on, then, then that's a good thing. You bear with them as another brother that's being overtaken. But it could, if they refuse to repent, and it, it goes on for a long time, and the purity of the church is threatened, then at that point, you have to deal with it. And that's what he's saying. The sins of the mind do not necessarily threaten the unity and the purity of the church, yet over time, secret sins may spill out as perversions in the church. Sins of the mind, meaning known only by God in the person, need the Lord's conviction for repentance. It's a supernatural work. All right, we covered a lot there, so thoughts, questions? Yep, Mark. Yeah, what you're, what you're talking about is, say, a woman comes and says, I'm divorcing my husband because he's addicted to pornography, and I'm justified in doing that because he's an adulterer. Yeah. So I, I would take her to these passages. Now, a lot of times what's going on in that is, is he has damaged the relationship in her uh, over a period of time, and, and she's responding to that. So the issue is not just his pornography. It's his failure to treat her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. It's a failure to love her as Christ loved the church, a failure to, to wash her with the word. So he's failed as a man and sinned against in ways other than the pornography. You know, but in that case, uh, there's a misapplication of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. What's the Lord's purpose? Absolutely. What's the Lord doing there? He's shining a spotlight of the law on all of these people listening, saying, you think that you're okay because you're Jews. And, and I say unto you, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's kind of the proposition of the Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes through laying out the law. This is how you've heard the laws applied. Let me show you how, how sharp the law is. You know, the Pharisees have made it a butter knife. 
but, but let me put the razor blade back on it. It's applied down to the very level of your heart. You're guilty before God, but it's not equated to adultery in the sense that when you're angry in your heart, you're guilty of committing murder. The, the, the intent of the law is that you love your neighbor. The opposite of loving your neighbor, it could be any number of manifestations. One of them is anger. You, in your heart, you hate that person. You want to hurt that person. They did you wrong. And so that's the source that, that if it's not dealt with, can turn into road rage or a gun and, and a murder. But to say, I'm angry with you, I feel that way about you, that God says that's the same as me taking a gun and shooting you is ridiculous. A physical act is worse than where it comes from. And so that's where I would, would try to take her. So no, uh, pornography or those epithumia sins are not justification for, for, for divorce. But there's probably about ten other things going on besides that. Um, there they are. Yeah, and when you get into the habituated sexual sin of the mind, uh, you're overtaken. You know, and, and you're not going to be able to get up from that yourself. I mean, if you're to that level wh where you've practiced it for a while, you know, the tiger has already pounced on you from the weeds, and, and it's holding you down. You need another brother to come along and bear that burden and, and knock it off of you and help you walk, you know. And I understand it's embarrassing and all of those other kinds of things that are there, but... But your soul's at stake, you know, and, and more damage. Now, it can go beyond. I mean, look at it this way. If you don't deal with that evil desire, you don't deal with that lust, it will manifest in something physical, you know, whether that's, whether that's self-pleasure or whether that's worse, um, you know, moving into uh, somebody of the, um, of the opposite sex outside. So, yeah, great. Other thoughts, questions? Okay? Um, great stuff. How about some questions to anticipate as you deal with church discipline? Here's a question. Should we distinguish between members and non-members? I want to caveat what he, what he says here. The answer is no if the reason is due to a threat. And I think that's the caveat. So yes, it matters if you're a member and a non-member, but it doesn't matter if somebody's attending the church and the unity and the purity of the church is threatened. So you're treated differently. You, you don't get the benefits of being a member of a body if you hold that body at arm's length and, and you don't fully commit to it, and then they're able to commit to you. But as far as the elders in the body, if you have somebody attending the church and the unity and the purity of the church is threatened, 
then you put them out just like you would, you know, anybody else. Um, and people sometimes do that on purpose. They're onlookers in the church. They often try to avoid discipleship, discipline, and membership. These are fringe people in the church that are non-committed participants, and if they're, they're in sin and they're threatening the church, you confront them and tell them you can't bring that here. It may not be a formal process. Um, we have a fellow that was baptized here, um, but never got into membership. Baptized, but he was never voted in. And uh, he's left his wife, and he's at another church, and he's in, a, he's in sin. Um, and you know, so we're not bringing him before the body to put him out of the body because he's already left. The unity and the purity, uh, purity of the church is not threatened. Um, but he wouldn't be welcome back here because of the sin that's going on you know, in his life. Um, they're the not well-known people in the church who are long-standing attendees with these people. You may go through the formal process um, in the sense that there are people that have attended Timberlake for years. For whatever reason, they haven't joined, um, and they're well-known. And in that case, then you may bring the, the, their names before the whole church because people know them. Um, they're also factious and defiled people. And these go immediately. Um, and then there's a note, legal action may come into effect. We'll cover the legal part. Third or fourth question. Any comments about that? You do. Yeah, and, and you know, these are case-by-case -case situations. So there are people that flee, and they, they tell you they're not fleeing. Um, and let's say they just drift off, or they go to a megachurch somewhere, or maybe they hit and miss. And then, you know, a year or two later, uh, you find out that they're sinned. They're in, they're in some kind of sin. And then the likelihood is they were probably in that, you know, back here. You don't go get them and, and bring them back under discipline because they're already gone and the unity and the purity of the body is not threatened. But somebody who's, who has been exposed here as part of the body and then they run, which happens on a regular basis, yeah, because that's your responsibility to them uh, and... The distance, they haven't separated themselves for a long period of time and, and the, the, the unity and the purity of the body could be affected because they're, they're here. And so, yeah, you definitely would do that. And we have uh, done that before. Uh, most recently, uh, Zach Jensen, um, who left Brandy and the, and, and the kids, and he fled. He wouldn't, wouldn't come back and is gone now. I think he's even out of state. He's still under formal discipline you know, here. So while I mention him, pray for his repentance. Pray the Lord would save him. Um, he's an unbeliever, thinking he's a believer. Other questions about that?
Sure. Yeah, so the unity of the body, somebody's teaching something contrary, uh, somebody uh, calling the, um, the elders in, in the suspect uh, in violation of 1 Timothy, where you don't bring an accusation unless it's confirmed. So that's not a, an insulation. You know, don't ever talk about the elders. They're above the law. It, but, but there's a protection there because that's one of the places that, uh, you know, that, that people you know, go after. So uh, you can have individuals that are trying to, to draw people away, draw people away with a specific teaching. Um, and usually it's not as bold. Uh, most of the time people are chickens. They're uh, in heart. They want to do this in the dark and undercover. So you know, it'll be, you know, hey, pray for me. Uh, I've just been really offended by something Pastor did, and you know I don't want to go because I don't want to cause trouble. But here's what he did, and now they've sown something, you know, in the heart. And if somebody's like that. Say, well, time out. You know, if you're going to say this, then let's go talk to Pastor about this, or Mark about this, or whoever it is, because this could be really dangerous, and we want to free your soul, and you know, and, and theirs. So just keep that from happening. Um, but, but usually it's subtle, uh, slithery. So the idea of a faction is, is, is around something, an idea, a teaching, an issue. Um, and so most people that are leaders of factions, uh, Paul says and Peter says, they're, uh, um, they're self-absorbed. It's about them. So they try to make it about you know, the truth or whatever it is, but it's really you know, about them. Uh, Purity-wise, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with the, uh, could be dealing with error. I think the two obvious ones are error, and then the other one is, um, you know, some sexual sin, something that could harm, you know, someone. So someone is actually falling into, uh, you know, into pornography, or maybe they've acted on some sexual sin at, at that point. Um, you know, we've had guys that have, went from the pornography into full-blown sexual sin, and we have said to them, um, you know, until that, the, the, the acting on it is under control, uh, you know, you come here, but you don't come here. You can't come to Boundless and put our girls or ladies at risk because you don't have this under control, and they don't know. Like, you're telling the elders, and, and you're telling us, which is a good thing, but, you know, Susie at Boundless doesn't know. That, that you're, you know, you're inflamed in, in sexual desires and you're acting on those. So, no, you can't go to balance right now, you know. Um, and if they won't do that, then you can't come to the church because our job is to protect the sheep, not, not you. Um, we we want to protect you, we want to help you, but if you're refusing to hear the voice of Christ, then at that point, we have to protect the body. So, is that kind of what you're saying? Well, this is not the opportunity for you to just put the ball on the tee for all of these, all these counseling issues. I understand. So, what's your question again? I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I wouldn't call it a mental illness. I'd call it what the Bible calls it, which is sexual sin. So, you know, you deal with that person. Uh, you know, that that's a deception that's you know that that's that's there that they fall into. So, when the elders would be dealing with that, we would be going back to, okay, as a as a believer, as a person, the Bible says there's a Creator, and the Creator has told us how we're made and where our problems lie. And when you look at the Creator's Word, it's organic or inorganic. We're material or inner, immaterial. So you can have, a, you could have an organic issue that probably wouldn't fall into sexual sin. Um, you know, so that, those typically fall more into depression, anxiety, otherwise of low thyroid, or you have a woman who has come out of, of a birth and her hormones are all over the place, naturally. Her body's trying to get back in wax, so she's got the blues. She's got depression. and So you're in you know, sleep deprivation. You're dealing with an organic issue that's testable. That's not mental illness, though. Um, so there's material part. The other part is the immaterial. So it's spiritual in that case. Uh, and we've talked about sins of the mind and the Bible sufficient. The Spirit's sufficient to be able to deal with that. So you only have one of three, three issues. You know, it's either an organic issue, it's a sin issue, or it's a spiritual issue, meaning it's, it's, a, it's in the demonic realm or it's some spiritual problem. And in, in, in that area, the spiritual realm, you can't do anything about it. We're never told to cast out demons or talk to demons or do anything else. We're told to preach and pray, you know. So you're... You're preaching the gospel. The gospel can deliver you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, uh, and you pray. You don't have any control over that realm. It's there. You're acknowledging it, but um, and you're probably dealing with an unbeliever there, so gospel, which leaves either organic or some type of sin issue, sin of the mind, sin of action, so you're bringing the word you know, to bear. So you're going to be gentle, and you're gonna, but you're going to have to confront that error that somehow this illness, mental illness, is making you do this, which is where the real issue is. It's a lack of accountability. Um, Most that most that I've dealt with, some clearly fall in that category of the sexual side. Um, you know, whether it's the homosexuality, pedophilia, as, as you know, the, use the world's terms. But the majority that fall into the mental illness side fall into the sins of the mind, which you're very gentle and you're bearing with them. They've heard um, bipolar, um, uh, ADD, um, whatever. You've got a label. And so these are, these are patterns of the mind, of weaknesses, of heart. And so you're not disciplining somebody for ADD. <laughs> uh, I've got ADD. I'm mentally ill, mentally Ill so I can't, you know, I can't overcome this. You're bringing them back, and you're, you're caring for them, and you're working through a biblical framework of how to deal with, you know, with attention, with problems, with self-discipline, uh, you know, those, those kinds of things.
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's hard. It's uh, it, it's it's confrontation is usually what's what what's involved, and and I don't mean you know I'm coming to confront you. It's it, it, that's why Galatians six one and two is given to believers and not just to elders. So you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You know, so who are the spiritual? Well, chapter five is those who have the fruit of the spirit, those who have been freed. You know, by the Spirit. So this is believers, believers that are walking with you know with the Lord, and so, you know, you're going in there and saying, "I see this. I mean, tell me, am I wrong? Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about you." So you're going with gentleness. You're expressing that, and you'll find out really quickly whether they're you know how deep they're in, because somebody that is in deep will defend themselves. They'll say, "What are you talking? No, that's I, you know. I think you're overblowing that. You know, uh, because we protect our idols. We don't want our idols torn, torn down. And so, is it they've been overtaken and they're looking for help? The Lord's already working in them, uh, or is it something entrenched? You'll find out really quickly by by their response. And if they respond that way, I might start. You know, if they're defending themselves. I might start with praying for that pain." You know, Lord, open their eyes, help them, help, you know, don't allow them to be successful in what they're doing, but I wouldn't leave it for a long period of time. At that point, you may go to another brother that you also know is close to them, saying, hey, I'm seeing this, are you seeing this? You know, obviously, be careful, but yeah, it's good. Yes? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, hey, um, you know, Clay, where you been, man? Uh, miss you, boundless, haven't seen you for a while. Uh, obviously, we would know really quickly if Clay wasn't at balance because he's leaving, he's using him as an example rather than somebody else. So, yeah, you're calling him up. And, and most of the time, they're not going to say, I'm leaving, I'm in sin, you know, they're they're going to give you an excuse, which is why you got to go to the next level. You know, well, hey, how about uh, let's ride together next Thursday, or hey, let's or let's get coffee afterwards, or hey, let's have you know let's go Chick Fil A before. So you're try, you're looking for some way to press in, to be able to you know to be able to talk to them, see. Um, uh, that's the easiest answer up front you could go levels beyond that what if they don't respond to you you know if they're gone like and they're not responding and they're not giving you an excuse once they stop giving you excuses that's the point where you're going to you know bring clay in or an, another elder or something saying hey you know joe's not coming anymore and i reached out to him and he's saying he's gone And it's okay. Like, you know, the goal is not to keep people at Timberlake Baptist Church. The goal 
to keep people in the kingdom. So there may be situations where somebody may thrive somewhere better, uh, um, but uh, you, you, would, you would want help knowing that rather than... That's good. Yeah, and you may not know. So, you know, there's the, the proverbial, the three reasons somebody leaves. There's the reason that they're telling you. Uh, there's the reason they're telling others. And then there's the real reason. So if you're close to them and they know that you know them well enough that they're exposed, then they're probably going to tell you one thing. And then you're hearing that they talked to some other balanced folks and they told them, you know, I just really don't like pastors preaching that well. I don't like the music. So there's what they're telling you. I love, you know, what's going on. I'm just really growing spiritually. Somebody invited me over here. I just feel like I'll grow more spiritually over there. So that's what they're telling you. Then you hear from other balanced people. I don't like this. I don't like that. But then there's the real reason that they didn't tell you and they didn't tell anybody else. The real reason that they're leaving. And sometimes it takes God a while to expose that. Um, and you can't do anything about that. You're only accountable for the information that, that you have. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's good. Um, how do I treat someone in my own family who might have uh, been disciplined in the church? Um, a lot of times uh, churches have multi-generations, multiple generations in a, in a, in a church, and not immune to that. So you don't cut off all communication with family. You don't ignore them. Maybe an evangelism opportunity. Let's say you go to the same church and you have somebody who's um, part of your family that was there. They, they're in sin. They, they leave. They're under discipline. Um, do you not invite them to Thanksgiving or Christmas? Of course you do. Um, but at family functions, the whole point is you don't allow them to think everything's okay. I mean, you don't pretend like the, the sin is not there. Um, cordial interaction will happen, but acting as though no sin has been committed uh, by continuing to have the same fellowship with them is not possible. And obviously then if the opportunity arrives and those you're asking them, um, have you repented? Keep the relationship there, the familial relationship um, for evangelism. That's what it means even for somebody who's not in your family. Somebody who is, you're treating them as a heathen and a publican, as the King James says. They're now an unbeliever. Well, you're not cruel to unbelievers. I mean, you, you try to witness to them. You're kind to them. But you make sure that the interactions you have are not the same. You don't, you know, hey, we, you went to breakfast uh, every grace and granite. 
and you know, for the last three years of Grace and Granite, and now this person's under discipline and they left, and you continue to have breakfast with them like nothing has changed. Don't do that. that that's, that's the fellowship part. You don't treat them as if everything is okay. But it doesn't mean that when you pass them in the mall, you know, you, you turn and go the other way or, you know, you stare at them. You, you're, you, but they know, they should know, I'm here with the Lord and you're there away from the Lord and I'm praying that you'll come back to the Lord. So whatever that looks like. Um, what happens if somebody gets disciplined out of the local church and they get restored somewhere else? Um, if it's true restoration, then 2 Corinthians 7 means they're going to be coming back here going, man, I want to make it right because I really blew that. Most of the time, sadly, that's not what happens because a lot, I mean, 400 churches in Lynchburg, they just kind of get absorbed and pretend that nothing ever happened. And they hurt them and they hurt the body that they become part of. Um, yeah, lawsuits are potentials, but that's just the nature of the situation. So you're careful in that. Um, do we discipline teenagers living with parents? No. Um, we speak to the parent and call them to discipline the, the child. Um, that's the authority that's there. Um, a teenager's spiritual problem in the church, has, uh, spiritual position in the church has not yet been established. He's under the spiritual care and authority of his parents. But once they're outside their parents' authority, church discipline is operative. And so there's no age in the Bible, you know, a bat mitzvah, a bar mitzvah, you know, age 13, 14, and now you're under the law, and you're accountable to the law. And there's not 18 either, no age in the Bible. So, so there are two things I think you need to be thinking about there. When is someone able to comprehend the gospel and their sin and be converted? There's no age to that. It could be. Different, it, it, there could uh, be a differential based on, the, based on the individual. But they're still living under their parents' authority. So as long as they're living under their parents' roof and authority, then they obey that authority. But when they're no longer under their parents' authority, meaning they're no longer under their roof, then now they're accountable to other authorities, not their parents. If they failed to learn how to submit to their parents, they're going to have a horrible life because authority is everywhere. But now they're no longer under their parents' authority and they would be under the church's authority. So the church authority, the elders, are being brought to bear on the, 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 the individual. So if a teenager sins, then you're, you're going to go to the teenager with mom and dad because they're still under their authority. But to the extent that they're not, then you're going to go to that Go to that individual. Um, uh, what if a, a member doesn't want to attend uh, church discipline services because they can't handle the, the event? Um, a husband leaves a wife, and the wife has kids, and the husband is being disciplined. His name is being brought before the church at the Lord's Supper. Um, we encourage the wife and the children to be there. 
so they can receive the grace from the church body, and it's also very instructive, you know, for the uh, for the kids. Um, it's a supernatural corporate accountability. In turn, it holds them accountable accountable to the bond of the body, but um, you know, it's not mandated. Just try to encourage them. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is a grace. It's a grace to you. And those who have been through it know, know that, would testify. Um, it's a good thing. Closing thoughts? Excellent. It's good. Now, obviously, I'm sure we didn't cover everything, uh, and there's there's more here. Remember, the purpose of this is to give you guidance and then unleash you to have conversations and minister to one another. And if you get in the midst of those and start talking, hey, well, we didn't cover this, and you hit a wall, then come back. Come back to one of the teachers and otherwise, and we'll be happy to help you and, and uh, try to make some some sense out of it so let me pray for you dismiss you and you'll get an email when uh the next date starting back up in january but um father we love you pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing thank you for this semester thank you for grace and granite thank you for these men thank you for your truth um thank you for a church uh, full of brothers and sisters that just want to hear what you have to say and want to submit to it and uh, we love you walk with these men um, as they go throughout this day. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.